Well, it is Labor Day weekend, and on Labor Day weekend, we think about work. I guess we think about work by taking off of work, many of us. But it is a day we we tend to think about labor and how God has blessed us with that, and what does it mean to respond rightly. We think about saving. Maybe we even think about investing. And so on this Labor Day, I do want us just to think for a few moments about eternal investments. Recently in my own devotions, I was reading and I read through a passage that has been a favorite of mine about investing and giving eternally from the Old Testament. And I thought as I was reading it, I ought to preach on that someday. And then as I was working through the preaching schedule, I realized we had this Sunday as kind of a catch-up Sunday in case we got behind in the other series and the new series starting next week. And I decided, okay, this is the time. I'm going to preach on that. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, we're kind of jumping into the middle of the story because it is a story about how God had told David he could not build the temple But David had instead begun all the preparations for it. He'd gathered materials. He had worked to to draw blueprints and lay out other plans and prepare for the musicians who would, would take part in the various services there. All of those preparations being done so that Solomon could build the temple. And if we were to read the first part of chapter 28, and you can go back and do that later, you would see David challenging the people about giving And then in the first part of chapter 29, we'd see David himself giving a large gift for the building of the temple, and his gift in turn challenging his leaders to do the same as they give an even larger gift. And David's example demonstrates what I would call four pieces of advice for us for investing eternally. So let's think about it for a few minutes this morning together. The first piece of advice is one that is really, really basic. It's one that you and I know most of us well, but we need to be reminded of it. And that is God owns it all. Whether we recognize that, whether we accept that or not, and you may not, it is the truth. God owns it all. And if we want to invest for eternity, we need to remember that everything we have is God's. In fact, David opens this section by talking about the fact that we belong to God and that we owe God all of our worship. That's really the foundation to investing eternally. It's the foundation for giving is the recognition that I belong to God. And that because I belong to him as his creature, I owe him my life. I owe him my worship. And so David begins with these words in chapter 29, verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Do those words sound a little familiar? As we read on through verse 11, it may sound even more so. Jesus draws on these verses 
in what we call the Lord's Prayer, in his model prayer for his disciples. God's is the glory. God's is the greatness. God's is the power. God's is the majesty. David piles up those terms to show how all praise and all glory belong to him. That God is greater than you and I can imagine, and he is worthy of our praise. Sunday school teacher was giving her students a little bit of free time just to to draw and to color. And as she was walking around the class, she stopped with one little girl and she said to her, what are you drawing? Little girl said, a picture of God. The Sunday school teacher said, but nobody knows what God looks like. With all the confidence of a young child, she looked up at her and she said, after I'm done, they will. (laughs) Some of you have kids or grandkids like that. They're that self-confident, but, but that little girl was wrong because we can't draw a picture of God. We can't even begin to comprehend in our minds all that God is. He is great and powerful and glorious. Is the victory and the majesty all belong to Him. And in light of who He is as our Creator, worthy of our worship, we owe to Him our worship And our praise. And notice David says right there at the end of verse 10, it's God's forever and forever. Literally, from forever to forever. So from eternity past until eternity in the future, if you can use past and future with eternity, God is worthy of our praise all the time because of who he is as our God and our creator. And David wants us to understand that everything belongs to him. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Everything is his. It's comprehensive. Every person, every animal, every piece of property in the world ultimately is his, and he rules over all. See, David understood something as he sat on the throne of Israel, having enlarged that throne, expanded it into an empire, he understood that the kingdom was never his, that it was always God's, that he had simply been entrusted by God to rule over that kingdom. He says it very plainly back in chapter 28, and of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord. And then chapter 29, then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord. It wasn't David's throne. Yes, he ruled from it. But he ruled from it as the manager, as the steward of God. And so the very first piece of investment advice we see in David's example here is that God owns everything. It's all his And that when we see his greatness, it should motivate us to give glory and praise to him. When we see his greatness and the fact that he owns it all, it should motivate us to to hold what we think we possess with open hands. A number of years ago, right after it just opened in Grand Rapids, Peggy and I had the opportunity to tour the Gerald Ford Museum. And to see there some of the the expensive ancient vases or the silver tea sets or the tapestries, these amazing gifts that were given to him simply because he was the president of the United States. 
And if the president, if a man, a mere man in a human office deserves those kinds of gifts, the God of the universe deserves far greater. He deserves the greatest gifts that we can give to him because everything belongs to him. But Scripture is really clear, and we sang it a few minutes ago, that the greatest monetary kind of gift that we can give isn't enough. That's not what God ultimately wants. What he wants is us. He wants our heart. Giving begins with giving ourselves to God, recognizing that as our creator, we belong to him, and bowing the knee and accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. So if you've never done that and you're seated here or you're watching online, I want you to know God doesn't want your money first and foremost. He wants you. Paul, as he talks about giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, says this about the Macedonians. For they gave according to their means, material things, as I can testify. And beyond their means, of their own accord, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And that's what God wants. He wants you to give yourself to him. And if you've never trusted Christ, please don't leave here today without talking to somebody about that. If you're watching online, please don't uh, simply blow this off, but call our office and talk to somebody about how you can know Christ as Savior. Everything there is belongs to God. He owns it all. The second investment principle is that of all of that, God has entrusted some things to us, but they're still His. What we have is just loaned to us by God for His glory. We saw that David understood that, that he understood that the throne didn't belong to him. He goes on to say in verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So David is saying, this power and might, the authority that I have as king, the wealth, it all came from you, God, because you are the one who is great. We understand that what we have isn't ultimately ours. God entrusted it to us. So how do we respond? We ought to respond with gratitude. In fact, as I was working on this, I thought we ought to respond with gratitude and when understanding that all we have comes from Him, we respond with gratitude, not the gimmies. And I thought, where did that come from? And then I remembered the Bernstein Bears. And I remembered reading this book with my grandchildren at one point when the Bernstein Bears just wanted more and more and more. They wanted everything they saw. And, and that's kind of our attitude sometimes, isn't it? But not what it ought to be. In fact, what David shows us is that we ought to respond with thankfulness, with gratitude. Verse 13, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name and the verbs there indicate a continual thanking and a continual praising of God for all that he has done. He's worthy of that praise. And so David shows us that if we are going to invest eternally, we need to come to grips with the fact that God owns it all and he's entrusted some of it to us, but it's 
still his. We tend to think that what we have is ours, that we earned it and we ought to be working hard and we ought to be saving and there's nothing wrong with having some good things, but we need to understand that it isn't all about us. And David helps us to come to grips with the fact that what we have isn't ours, that God gave it to us, and that nothing we have didn't come from his mighty hand. God has entrusted some things to us. So that means that when we give, we are actually giving back his to him. And the, the really amazing thing is he's glorified by that. He enjoys that we give back to him out of what he's given to us. And so we're reminded in this passage that our, our giving is no reason for pride. As you read these verses, you find that David and his leaders gave an enormous sum. David's going to call it an abundance in verse 16. Somebody's calculated trying to take you know, the worth of, of gold then and the worth of silver then and the precious stones and bringing it into today's dollars. And, and they have calculated that David and the leaders and the people gave somewhere around 50 to $60 billion with a B worth of funds for the building of the temple. It's an amazing amount. It's an abundance that was given. But David isn't lifted up with pride at what they've done. He doesn't beat his chest and say, look at how much I gave. Look at how much I inspired these people to give. Instead, in verse 14, he says, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Quite literally, you could read verse 14, from you the all, from your hand. And verse 16, from your hand, for you the all. It all came from you and it is all yours. As I thought about that this week, I was reminded of the days when our children were little, and it would be Christmas time, and they didn't have any money. So you would take them shopping, and you would give them money to buy gifts for your wife and you. I'd give them money to buy gifts for Peggy and for me. So they're buying gifts with my money for me, and yet I still love that. And whatever silly thing they picked out from it, you know? And God gives us, generously gives to us. And then we give back some of what he's given to us and he's glorified in that. It's an amazing truth. Our gifts aren't great because we're great. They're great because God is great. And he models for us generosity. This God who owns everything gives generously to us. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about giving in chapters 8 and 9, and he talks about all that's involved in that, he climaxes that whole chapter with chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And in the context, he's talking about Jesus. 
That God has given us Jesus Christ as our Savior. He's given us salvation through faith in Christ. That's the greatest gift we could ever be given. How in the world can we think our giving somehow is some great thing? When it is simply a response of our hearts giving back to God out of all that he's given to us. Our giving is no reason for pride. Our giving is an acknowledgement that we don't own it. Because when we give, it reminds us, this really isn't mine. And I'm not giving God everything back because he's given it to me so I can take care of my family and meet needs. But I'm giving some of it back because it belongs to him. David writes, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. What he's saying is, you and I are temporary. There is no such thing as permanently owning something because we aren't permanent. And he has this downward progression of pictures. He starts off by saying, we're strangers. The idea there is we we live in the land as resident aliens. We would say maybe today, I have my green card. He says, no, that's too strong. We're sojourners. We're just visitors. We have have a tourist visa through life. Eh, That's still too strong. Our life's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. It's just, to quote James, a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. There's no abiding. And that's reality, isn't it? The things that you and I think we own, maybe one of the things that's the most permanent that we own is a, perhaps a piece of property. But I'll tell you, in 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 years, you won't own that property anymore because you'll be gone. That's the way life is. We're just temporary. Our giving is an acknowledgement that I really don't own anything. God does. And he's entrusted it to you and to me. At age 70 plus, David could clearly see the temporary nature of life in spite of the fact that he ruled an empire. He gives, as you read the early verses of this chapter, not just out of the treasury. That would be easy. He's throwing the national money at it, and he does give from that. But he gives out of his own resources, his own treasure. Because the kings of that day often would reserve treasure just in case. You know, it's kind of their emergency fund. If somebody rises up to overthrow me and I have to flee the country, I'm taking this money with me. Kind of like petty dictators today, you know, put it in Swiss bank accounts and places. And David had money stuck aside, but as he comes to the end of his life, the opening verses of chapter 29 tell us he gives an enormous amount out of those funds because he understands those really aren't his anyway. They belong to God. David had enormous riches, but those riches never captured David's heart. In the cartoon strip, uh, Dagwood and Blondie, a number of years ago, uh, Dagwood and Blondie's two kids are headed to the beach, and they say, hey, Dad, you want to go to the beach with us? And he says, no, I don't think so. I want to stay close to the TV, the air conditioner, the refrigerator, and the sofa. As they're leaving, the son, Alexander, says, that's what getting older does to you. The more stuff you have, the more you don't want to leave it. Hmm. Maybe it isn't the stuff that you have, it's the stuff that has you. 
And there's a lot of ways you could go with that statement. That's why I cut the cartoon out. I mean, the more we have, the more we tend to not think about eternity and leaving it all. But it's also a warning that we can't allow things to possess us because those things aren't ours. They belong to God. We have no enduring property rights. They've just been loaned to us in trust. And so David reminds us that when we give, we're simply giving back God's to him. Imagine you were to go to your banker or your investment advisor and he or she, and would say to he or she, you know, I would like some of that money that I've entrusted to you. And your advisor or banker says, oh, I'm sorry, I spent that on my second house. I spent that on my boat. I, I got braces for my kids. You'd say, wait a minute. I didn't give you that money to use for yourself. I gave it to you to invest for me. I wonder if God doesn't want to say that sometimes to you and me. I didn't give you what you have for you. Yes, I want you to enjoy life. Yes, I want you to meet the needs of your family. But I gave it to you to invest for me in your family, in the people around you, in ministry. If our spending habits don't glorify God, if our use of credit and credit cards don't glorify God, if our lifestyle doesn't glorify God, then we're showing that what we're living for is self instead of Him. We better invest for eternity because everything we have here is only temporary. Jesus said it, lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. When we give, we're giving back His to Him. And our giving ultimately reveals what's in our heart, not what's in our pocket. Ultimately, our giving is about the attitude of our heart. Jesus says that in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Your heart will follow your treasure and your treasure will indicate what's in your heart. And so David reminds us that a great gift without a right heart is a poor gift. That we can give and give and give, but if we do it out of the wrong motivation, it's not a great gift. That ultimately it's about our heart. So notice what David says and the terms that he uses that talk about the heart in verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart. And have pleasure in uprightness or integrity. In the integrity, the uprightness of my heart, I have freely, I've willingly offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely, willingly, joyously to you. It's all about the heart. That's what David is saying. He's saying it is what our attitude is as we give that ultimately really matters. In chapters 28 and 29, he uses the word heart at least eight times and uses the word willingness or, or freely another eight or nine times. And those are words that come right out of Exodus 35 when the people were giving for the building of the tabernacle. And now he says that same attitude is permeating the people of God as they build the temple. They're giving willingly and freely and joyously so that it's not the size of the gift. Because after all, it's all God's anyway. 
It's the heart attitude with which it's given. Which is why Jesus can look at a widow putting in that small coin and say she gave more than everybody else did. Why? Because it was all she had and her heart was committed. It's why David opens chapter 29 back in verse 5 by saying, Who then will offer willingly, consecrating, setting themselves apart today to the Lord? It's not about the money, David says. It's about your heart. And if your heart's not in it, the gift is poor no matter what the size may be. And then when we have the right attitude, the word joy and praise and blessing just flows in this passage as well. A great gift without a right heart is a poor gift. And David also says a current gift without lifelong following is a poor gift. In other words, if we say, well, I'm going to give God this big gift and I'm going to buy him off so he'll leave me alone and I can live any way I want, that's a poor gift. Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, David prays, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. David says, I want this attitude of willingly and freely giving. I want that to be a forever attitude. I don't want them just to be motivated by guilt or manipulated by how I've given. I want their hearts to want to give to you. Too often, I'm afraid, that even we preachers try to manipulate people to serve or to give or whatever by guilt instead of by gratitude to God. Kind of like these two poor guys who come out of church with just their underwear and their Bibles. That was the best sermon on giving I've ever heard, they say. Could I suggest that they probably weren't motivated by glorifying God? They weren't motivated by their heart. They were manipulated, perhaps. And David says, that's not what we want. We want a right heart. In fact, he prays, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all. Notice, two-thirds of the verse is about Solomon's heart and his obedience and his lifelong following, and then that he may build the palace, the temple, for which I have made provision. David's concerned. He wants the temple built, but ultimately it's for the hearts of his people and of his son. So he has the word heart occurs three times in verses 18 and 19. That's the heart of it all. And so this fourth piece of investment advice is that our giving is going to show what's in our hearts. So we look at our checkbook and we look at our debit card statement and we look at our bank account and we ask, what does that show about my heart, about my priorities? God's priority to support God's work, to care for and meet the needs of my family, to help others. And then, what do I want? a wealthy family one night that was having their family devotions and when they finished the father was praying he was praying for the needs of some of their friends who are missionaries when he finished praying his little son looked at him and said dad if i had your checkbook i could answer your prayers kind of telling what does our checkbook say about our priorities and our values If we put all of our effort and all of our time and all of our money into things, they'll be gone. 
But if we invest in God's work, in God's kingdom, it will last. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart shows what you treasure and your heart follows your treasure. And then he climaxes it all in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's not wrong to be concerned if in the context about what we eat and what we wear and what we put on and and even things that we enjoy, but seek his kingdom first. Pursue God. Pursue knowing God. Pursue serving God. Invest eternally. Understanding that a scan of our spending reveals more about our heart than an EKG. But again, I would remind you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior this morning, it's not your money he's after, it's your heart. He wants your life. He wants you to trust Christ as Savior. And if you've done that, then allow the Word of God to evaluate what we do with what God has entrusted to us. Let's pray. Father, on this Labor Day weekend, we thank you for the privilege that we have in this country of working, of working wherever we choose to work, of earning a wage, of providing for our families. And Lord, for most of us, you have blessed us even beyond meeting the basic needs so that we can invest in your work and so that we can even enjoy some of the luxuries of life. But Father, help us never to lose the perspective that David had, that whatever we have has come from you and it belongs to you and we give back to you and our hearts belong to you. So as we go out and many of us enjoy this holiday weekend, may we do so recognizing that you own it all and we are just your business managers. May we we manage your things, your money, your possessions well. I pray in Jesus' name.